You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Faye, it happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. When lightning strikes, where you're meant to go, you can stand and shout your This is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the tingly, heart-stopping, mic-drop moments that led you to becoming an artist. Martina Mayok is a fiercely talented playwright who won the 2018 Pulitzer Prize for Drama for Cost of Living. Her newest play, Sanctuary City from New York Theater Workshop is now playing at the Lucille Lortel Theater. Her plays, including Queens and Ironbound, have been performed throughout the United States and abroad. She studied playwriting at the Yale School of Drama and Juilliard School, and she's currently writing two musical librettos and developing an original series and film for HBO. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks so much for being here. I love your work and so much congratulations on the recent opening of Sanctuary City. Uh, How does that feel? You're just off your opening. You got incredible reviews. What was that like for you to birth this play? I, I still kind of am in disbelief that it's actually <laughs> opened. You know, we we were shut down during the pandemic. And so this sort of 18 month, uh, you know, there was this 18 month pause yeah. during which our set was still up for that entire time. <laughs> and there was like, we'll come back, we'll come back. Uh, at some point, maybe, but I, but I was like, will, will theater be back? I don't know. Uh, uh, a lot of a lot of uncertainty, and then like, and then the hurricane happened, and we were like, "Is the theater going to flood?" Just like, oh, just uh, wondering. Uh, I guess I've been I've been holding back, um, been guarding my heart, uh, and uh-huh. and now that it's open, I'm still sort of I'm I guess I'm in a strange shock. I hasn't hasn't settled that it's actually people are actually able to see the play now. Yeah. <laughs> it feels really good. It's just also strangely. <laughs> like tentative shock. (laughs) I know it's also surreal to be back. I feel like we're tiptoeing back into the water and it's, uh, it's really special to be in the theater to get again, all at once. I love, uh, in his New York times review, what Jesse Green said about sanctuary city. He said, I've rarely seen the play that so effectively embodies the way external forces, in this case, immigration policies in the United States, distort the inner lives of actual humans. What love is and can ever mean is lost in the muddle between the heart and the law. I just think that's so beautiful. Can you talk about that, about the the immigration experience, how you, in your play, how, and it's, it's so much more, and yet so embedded in the characters. Yeah, I think I've, I've tended to write um, sort of personal stories or stories of people that I, that I grew up with, or people, stories of my family. 
um, that end up being, uh, there's an inherent politics in them because of oftentimes who they are. If it's, um, uh, if you're an immigrant to the country, you've been affected by immigration law. And um, for the friends of mine who were undocumented, uh, obviously it's affected, like their status has affected the opportunities that they have access to um, for their, throughout their whole lives. And there's another aspect of one of the characters uh, that I've, that I, that, that is a surprise later on that is also affected by policy. Um, so I, I feel like I never set out to necessarily write political plays. It just is inherent in the circumstances of the characters. Um, not that I shy away from it. Uh, so I will have, I will have witnessed what happens to the lives of people and then try to understand, kind of go backwards, I guess. So I, I then research afterwards, everything that sort of, um, I, I write the play first and I kind of double check to see, to, to, to see if, um, all the sort of legalistic things are on point. I had two immigration lawyers check the script just to be like, is this okay? Is this, yeah. is this, does this all sound right? And thankfully it did. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, um, I, I, you know, I come from an, I, I grew up in a largely multicultural immigrant neighborhood in New Jersey. And so everybody was from somewhere else. Like that was my experience of America when I immigrated. Uh, um, from Poland, right? Yeah. You immigrated from Poland. From yeah. Poland. yeah. Yeah. When you um, were five, right? When I read, it. I, I often say well, as a child. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, only because I I think um, but yeah, five. But like the the the, the reason I, I I say as a child is because I felt like uh, there's like a feeling of not being enough, like that uh, not being enough of one thing or another. That sometimes people have defined. They'll, they'll define by an age. Oh, well, that means that you're American, and therefore you're not Polish, or that means that you're this or that. And I've and I've just I've struggled with that because it feels like it doesn't give me a chance to like define, you know, sort of sort of who I am. I think I've other I've talked to other like kind of first gen and other like Im- immigrants who've come over young, and I, and a lot of us have this sort of strange strange feeling of like like almost shame for coming over young because it's like we you know we kind of can't claim it. My family's all still back in Poland, um, but. Uh, yeah, I kind of just identify more, um, even more so as like I- I- immigrant American, I guess. <laughs> I understand. Well, at its core, your characters are so humane and three-dimensional. And I want to talk about your lightning strikes moment when you knew you had to be an artist. When did that pull or those pulls come to you? I think I was, I was always drawn to... Um, to storytelling, actually, I, 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 and as well as like drawing and, and, and painting, I think I, I, um, I mean, the, the, the sad truth, I guess, or just the truth is, is I, um, as a kid, uh, because of, because of the sort of domestic situation that we were in, this sort of a volatile home, um, I would often like close myself in my room and do quiet activities that were, you know, writing, that were drawing, um, and it wasn't that I was escaping in them, um, but, uh, I was, I guess it was a way to keep me safe. Um, and, uh, when I began writing, uh, plays in college, I was trying to understand kind of what is certain paradoxical human behavior. Like why would somebody do some of the, the, the cruel things that they, that they do. And I would sort of go backwards from those actions and try to collect it in dialogue and action to try to understand, try to better understand other people as well as myself. And then discovered that what I, one of the things that I loved about writing for the theaters, I had to be every character, I had to be everybody. And so nobody could be a villain. Nobody could be, you know, just a victim. It was like, uh, it, it let me, uh, like embodying their consciousness, uh, like I guess helped helped me to um, have a have a closer understanding of other people as well as myself in ways that I think that um, we don't allow ourselves in, in regular life. Like we hide from our own our own selves, and I think I can uh, the place that I can actually be truthful with myself is is with is through writing and through then developing it with actors. Do you remember some of the first things you wrote though when you were a child? Oh, they were horrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were like three hour long like skits and things. I, I used to work for an adult literacy program um, in, in in the high school where we would teach um, 
uh, immigrant parents and their preschool aged children English together in an after school program. And the, the goal was like to, to provide them with muscle memory language. So if they were going into a bank or like a cafe or something, um, they would have the language ready to like, you know, ask for what they what they needed. And um, so we would write these skits uh, and have them translate into various languages. And I would write the skits and like, like they just got more and more elaborate. Like there was a murder heist at the bank and like there was like an affair at the cafe and the, the like head of the program was like, they, they really just need to know how to order a sandwich. Like it's not like, <laughs> just, clearly you have like, you need an outlet. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of how I started. But then in college I was writing my like, you know, three hour long emo plays about <laughs> really bad. But you got to start somewhere. <laughs> you got to start. Was that at the University of Chicago? Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I read that your the first show you saw was uh, or the first Broadway show you saw was uh, was Cabaret. Yeah. Yeah. And you were 18 or 17. Yeah. 17 yeah. or 18. It's, some, it's like my last year of high school. Uh, that that on, a, on a total like fluke that that I ended up in, in at the theater. Um, I had I had um, won forty five dollars playing pool, and I decided to use it towards something I never would have used it toward had I come about it legally. Uh, and and um, yeah, my mom was a uh, was a house cleaner, and she would bring home um, like pamphlets and magazines from her uh, from her jobs that people were ready to recycle. And there was, there was a pamphlet for the then roundabouts production of cabaret, um, which I guess at that point had like substituted John Stamos for Alan Cumming. And yes. to my mother, that was like uncle Jesse's in New York. And so she gave it to, she's, she's like, is this, is this of interest to you? And I was like, Oh, tickets are 45 bucks. And so I decided to go see that. And I, I guess it changed everything. <laughs> How did it change everything? Is it, can you, is it, hard to articulate how what that did to you that impact or see I think it's in addition to sort of just in addition to just being in a in a in a room where human voices are filling the space with so much life uh it was a story that is uh, I guess you know arguably you call it pretty dark story um uh it's it's quote-unquote tough subject matter but it was told with such humor and bodiness and joy and it was an actual literal invitation in the you know at the beginning with Vilkomen uh that I really responded to and um it wasn't compromising what it was about but it was still inviting and so there was I think there was something about that that I've like taken as a lesson for how to approach the act of making theater which is like to not shy away from the truth which can sometimes be difficult but also to invite people into it because the goal is that we're coming away with a deeper understanding of what it is to be human together. That's what I love about your work. You don't shy away from the truth. You don't sugarcoat. You know, you see people in, in a very raw state and connecting in a very raw human way that's really satisfying, you know, or, or, or gut-wrenching at times, but so real. Yeah. Did you, Thank you. Did, you uh, did you have a sense, though, of when you were a kid, even when you were writing those skits that, God, this is this is the way I need to express myself. This is a path for me. No, no? <laughs> I, I don't think I I even really understood what a playwright was. Um, I, I guess I'd, I I had I had always been drawn to art making and um uh, whether it was writing or, or, or drawing art or, or, or I just was, uh, yeah, I was drawn to, to, to making. And, um, but I was also in conflict with my, um, uh, like immigrant kid logic of, oh no, this is not, um, uh, the goal for me is to become like a doctor or a lawyer uh, to try to pursue, uh, not just like, es like social escalation, but safety. Like for, for us, it was just, um, make sure that you're going to be okay financially, that you'll, uh, the idea of like, um, my mother wanting a better, better version of life for me than the one that she was, that she felt that she was able to access. And so, uh, I was scared to pursue anything in the arts because I knew how, um, it was a gamble. So I, 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 um, I think maybe, maybe I would have pursued it earlier, but I fought, I fought against it, especially in college. I felt like in high school was a thing that I couldn't help 
I guess I continued. I, it was a thing I couldn't help doing. I kind of continued doing it. And I couldn't help it. And then found that, and then just found myself like, oh, I think I'm now an English major. Oh, I think I'm, I think I'm in, I'm, I'm just in the theater all the time. I'm in the library, like reading plays instead of doing the assignments for my other classes. Like I, I just, my, my, my body was telling me, <laughs> was like fighting with my, my logic brain of like, yeah, clearly you are, <laughs> you're pulled toward this. So maybe try to pursue it. And then it was this, this battle with my, with continued battle with myself of, um, of, of permission, of you, of permission and encouragement. When did the playwright heart win? And and get is that when you got to Yale or before? I, you know, how did you get to that path to go to Yale I, and study? Well, it was because uh, I, I made a pact with myself that the only way that I could pursue play, I, I, I was writing. Um, uh, I I'd written, my, I think my first like big full length play, my like junior senior year and I had some such an it was such a fulfilling experience to to um uh to write it and to share it with other people it was difficult but it was also like I think I'd never felt that um like transcendence in 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 living uh uh it was sort of the, the best way that I, I I could just describe what it felt like there was something very special in this that felt like oh I'm more alive in in pursuing this um and uh uh I had I, I had um won an award I, I applied for and won an award for immigrant students that was called the Mirage Foundation Fellowship for the American Dream, which let um uh, it provided ten thousand dollars a year for two years, so twenty thousand twenty thousand total for for students that are graduating from college to like quote unquote pursue the American dream. And for me it was like I wanna be a writer, which meant that I only had to work at the bars part time <laughs> and I could use the rest of the money to pay, to pay rent and like spend the other half of the week at the library and um, writing and teaching myself playwriting by reading all these plays and, and figuring out how they work um, by seeing shows. And this was in Chicago. So it was also just like the cost of living there was, was lower. Um, and it was like, it was more possible for me to access the theater there. Uh, and and through that through that award, I think I was like, oh, if somebody pays me to be a playwright, then perhaps I, like as long as somebody's paying me, then I can be a playwright. So that was the that was the sort of pact that I made with myself. And I found out what schools, um, what graduate schools had free tuition and had a stipend and health insurance, which to me was like, ah, that would be payment. And I applied to those, got into Yale, and kind of continued doing that with applying for fellowships and applying for opportunities that. Um, like there was some external validation coming my way of like, it's okay. You can do this. I'm, I'm, I'm paying you. There's somebody paying you. And, uh, I think I, I think I still have that. <laughs> <laughs> Follow the <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How did the experience of going to Yale change you as an artist? And, and, you know, it, was that like playwriting 24 seven, not 24 seven, but, Around I mean, basically, the, but yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like this very West singular, Virginia. delicious focus, you know, that, now that you led your, let your heart, you know, lead, the playwriting heart lead you. Um, yeah. I love that sounds lofty, but. Um, no. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it, but truly, it's like of the body. It's like the, it was like yeah. heart versus mind. Like the mind yeah. is saying, this is not good. <laughs> this is not the logical <laughs> thing you should be doing. It's and my heart, but you're like, but I can't leave the theater. I love it. I'm in the library all the time. I think my first year of Yale, I was still like expecting them to be like, just kidding. We're sending you back to the bars of Chicago to go continue being a cocktail waitress. <laughs> so it took like a year to be like, I think, I think I'm going to get to stay. Uh, and then it was uh, like, I, what I loved about it um, the most was the people that I got to meet um, as well as the, what felt like um, a safe place to fail. I think I needed to. Uh, I needed to make to to, to risk uh, in in a, in a place um, to, to to stretch and and learn and, and risk in a place where I wasn't going to be judged. Like the reviews reviewers were not coming to see my <laughs> to see my school productions, but I but I I needed to have the experience of being in a room with actors and talking to a director, which I I hadn't had before. So it was it was invaluable for me for that for sure. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And I want to go back for a second to that transcendent experience, the third year of, uh, when you wrote that. What was the play? Can you talk about that play? It was the play yeah. called Wanderstanding. <laughs> and, uh, like, well, uh, and it was, no one's ever seen it. And I, think, I, even, I don't even have it, I don't think. And I hope nobody does, I hope nobody else has it as well. <laughs> so it wasn't put on. Nobody, oh, it, you it was. Oh, it was. It was That's at, right. at the yeah. University Theater. Um, in, uh, yeah. And, um, and I didn't know how to, I didn't realize that like a playwright could be in the room. I thought that they just like gave the play to a director and then they, they put it up. I just had, I had no idea. Uh, so, so I, I then came in later and saw what my play was and I was like, Oh no, I'm not sure that this is, this is what it's, what it's meant to be. And it, it was a learning experience of, even though uh, I, I thought there was humor or, and I endeavored to have humor, but um, I think, people were reading the subject matter, which a lot of it was, you know, autobiographical. And, and so it had like domestic violence and things like that throughout it. But because it had those subject matters, I think it was, there was an idea that it should be like very depressing and very difficult uh, and um, uninviting actually, which I think is the thing that I was, you know, I had been trying not to do uh, and to realize that I'd have to, I'd have to learn how to better articulate my intentions and also be involved. And once I started being involved, I realized that's the part that I love the most was, was, was like, once I'd written something, I don't, I don't actually like writing. I like being in the room with, no, I find it very difficult. <laughs> I don't, I, it's, um, I, I avoid it. Um, I, uh, it doesn't, it's really, it's rare that I'll get into a flow state where, where, um, uh, like the ideas are coming and it feels really exciting, but even that is difficult. Um, maybe because some accessing some of those things are just, just, difficult to have to look at but when I'm in a room with other people and we're all working on something together and we're collaborating and uh, we're all trying to to create a, a a more true version of the story it is I that's that's the place where I truly feel most most alive and this it, it spark with other people um, sharing their stories and and responding to things that I might not have realized were in the play um, or realizing there's like there's something missing here and then talking about what that might be and then I get to discover um, some sort of key to the rest of the play. It's just such an electric, I mean, you know, lightning strikes, <laughs> it's such an electric thing. Um, but that's, that's like, what's, I'm addicted to that. I think I truly feel like I'm addicted to, to, to that process. And, and it's what's kept me in, in the theater. Did you, do your plays transform quite a bit then when you get into the collaboration, when you get into the rehearsal room or, um, I tend to be an underwriter. So I, what, what ends up, what ends up happening is I will have thought that something is like, uh, is there that actually isn't. And so it takes other people asking questions about a moment and then less sort of digging in deeper. So, so rarely is it that like something is, uh, I'm rewriting in the sense of making something completely new, but it's usually the sort of container of the play will, mm -hmm. will be, will stand. And then it's just like, unearthing like you know our ar archaeology paleontology yeah. whatever you want to call the things that are actually there but are kind of under the page um uh and, and also yeah exactly yeah mining is better hopefully we're finding what else might be there because somebody because an actor might have said might have um noticed a connection between something that happened earlier in the play and later and then will um that that would just uh that will illuminate something and I'll include that so it's just i i just love that so much That's so cool how did you go from um from yale and juilliard to getting your plays out into the world how did that happen 
Well, I graduated um, Yale in 2012 and, uh, and then it just continued continued my let's apply for every fellowship and every everything that might have financial <laughs> financial security I mean not security but something uh compensation to it for playwriting um and I, honestly I I applied to Juilliard because it was a place that I knew I could get um health insurance uh and and you know Marsha Norman was there at the time and I really wanted to I, I just wanted to be be around her and kind of get her get her wisdom I like read her her essays and her talks and I I really look up, looked up to her. And so I wanted to be with her, but, but also it was like a free program that had health insurance. Uh, and I think it was my, might've been my first year at, at Juilliard. I, 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 uh, I think I entered in 2015 that, uh, I had my first production, um, of Ironbound, but, uh, in, in New York, but until, but bef- and before then I was just sending out the play to every every place I could find, I was, I would look up the, I would look up theaters that I, that I, um, whose work that I, that I really responded to. And I would reach out. Um, I would read playwrights bios to find out what opportunities they had so that I could then see if I could apply for them. Like it was just scrappy, uh, survivalist. (laughs) Like, what can I, um, where, where can I, how can I get into this community? So it was, it was through a lot of, I think, reaching reaching out and then finally something somebody responded and um the play actually was done in chicago in 2014 then it was done in dc in 20 the summer of 2015 and then finally it was done in new york and you know the in early 2016 so they've all i mean it took it took a, a while i think there's uh the second play was happened much quicker it wasn't even finished and it was and it was programmed but there was i think um maybe like a tentativeness of a new, uh, I was a risk. It's a, a new person, uh-huh. a new voice, and and nobody knows who I am. So it took it took a little bit of time um, for whatever reason, but that took took a bit, and then it was, it was a little easier after. <laughs> new this, the second play was was a cost, cost of living. living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I love this another quote from <laughs> about cost of living. I that, that again Jesse Green, but um, he said in the New York Times. It would be a mistake to see cost of living as an identity play about people with disabilities. Rather, it's a play about disabilities with people in both of its stories, which eventually collide. The biggest handicaps are the universal ones, fear and disconnection. Woo! Um, (laughs) What what is... to you, what is what inspired cost of living, and um, what what do you think about what Jesse said? In that quote? I was I was so happy that he saw what the intention was. It was never meant to be a play about about people with disabilities. I don't have I I have no authority to to write a play that is about an identity of somebody that isn't that is not like to to, to say that I'm I'm writing an identity play of, of, I mean, I feel like I have, like, I, I struggle with my own identity. So it, so to like take an authoritative stance on identity was not the intention at all. Um, but, uh, it, but it was, it was, to me, it was largely a play about class and about loneliness, um, that happened to also have two disabled characters that happened to also have two first generation, um, immigrants and, uh, um, it, two people of color. I mean, but it wasn't, that wasn't, yeah, that sort of wasn't, wasn't what the intention of it was. Um, the, the play started as a, as that, as the opening monologue, um, where I, uh, I had been, it's my first year in New York and it was a really difficult year. Uh, I lived in 13 different apartments. I was, um, like bed bugs, every, like New York hazed me. The, they like sent the locusts out. Uh, it was, it was, um, very difficult to like get my footing because of just not ha- in, in the city because of not having enough money. Uh, and uh, one night I got, I got fired from my bartending job because they thought I stole a hundred dollars, which I didn't. But later on, I wish I did because I still got fired for it. And it was this, uh, it was this January bl- blizzardy January night, Saturday night. And at the same time, while I was struggling financially uh wondering like is this something i should be actually doing with my life um 
one of uh, this was during a time when one of my closest family members had passed away suddenly in Poland, and I wasn't able to see to say goodbye or to or to attend the funeral. Also because of money and also fear, I just didn't want it to be true. Uh, and so I was in this state of like hoping that I would see his ghost. There'd be something that like reached out from the beyond um, uh, and like communicated with me. And um, I think I was like seeking miracles. I was really, uh, it was like a strange, strange place of grief. So all of that kind of collided that night. And um, I began writing this monologue um, uh uh, Eddie Torres is monologue about, you know, being at the bar and, um, getting a text from his, his, uh, deceased wife. And, um, and then I put it away. It was like, I, I just felt like this was just for myself. Like I, I, um, uh, yeah, I just kind of went into a, a drawer and a few months later I was writing about, um, I was asked by a theater company, uh, to by ensemble studio, um, theater to, um, write a play about employment that like the the theme was employment and um so I wrote a short play about when I used to when that I used to work as a personal caregiver for for two men with disabilities in Chicago and I um one of them was very similar in age to me and so I wrote this you know a, a sort of imagining um interaction between like between two people that were that were similar similar to us and um, then later on, wrote like another another play, short short play that was that it, that I realized was um, uh, it was in in the same voice as that first monologue that I had written. And then there was connections amongst those three small, disparate pieces. Um, and because it was such a difficult year, and I wasn't like I was able to sit down at a desk and and say I'm writing a play. Um, uh, it was sort of all I had were these pieces and I thought they might be speaking to one another and decided to see what story they might tell together. And then for the rest of the year kind of worked on trying to crack the code of what they were, what they were, what they were trying to say. Uh, and it ended up being about, you know, care and loneliness. Um, it sort of feels like a, a Rorschach test of like that, that year, that year and a half of, of my first year of New York. Oh, all that pain and then to, you know, to be able to capture that in this beautiful play. Um, and you're, I mean, the people who are, the two people who are differently abled, mm -hmm. they're not, they're not very sympathetic. I mean, they could be real jerks sometimes and <laughs> complicated and, and you, and that's what I, I love and that they're just so flawed, like all of us. Yeah, and that, and and then their relationships are really complicated with with their yeah. Well, it feels it, it feels distancing when I think when people yeah. are seen as either too saintly or or, yeah. or villainous, and so it just seemed like, um, I mean, yeah, everybody's everybody's a, is a character. Everyone's human, and they and, and also you know uh, have identities that have. have that separate them, but from in arbitrary ways from other, other people, because, you know, somebody has said that you're different. Um, but like, mm -hmm. I'm just writing human beings who happen to also like it in like their identities and their backgrounds inform who they are, but it's not the soul, the soul aspect of them, of, of them that, that feels like we need to, everyone's, everyone's human. Yeah. And struggling. And, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And specifically for, for disabled characters, I had found that, um, there were sort of only there, there were mostly two narratives that I would encounter about disabled characters, and one was like the the savior kind of um, inspirational character um, who 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 was who was there to inspire other like able bodied people, and the other was the, the dying with dignity narrative where somebody um, was fighting for their right to die, and I just felt like there was a wider. There's just a wider range of, of experiences that perhaps should be should be featured for 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 actors with disabilities than those two. That's so great. Um, and how did winning the Pulitzer change you when you won? How did it change you? I or did it I, change? I bet it did. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually I think um, I thought that it would um, fill the like gaping hole of sadness 
<laughs> I thought that it would fix the, like I maybe it was the whole like seeking external validation. Oh, this is um, for pursuing awards or pursuing like somebody else telling me that I'm enough. Uh, and, and like, of course I'd always dreamed of a Pulitzer. Like once I found out what it was, I was like, oh my goodness, like this is the, this is the, this is like an indication of, of, of you are, you are good, you are enough. And, and when it, when I received the news, I went, disbelief was the first, like, certainly somebody's like pulling my leg and this is all just gonna, this is a joke. Um, my agent actually was the one who told me that that I had won, and I was for ten minutes on the phone. I was yelling at him. I was a- so angry that he would play this joke on me, like truly angry. And he's just laughing, and he's like, "Why don't you give it a minute and like see what see if I'm actually joking?" Uh, and and then you know, elation, so so happy, like it felt wonderful. And then I and then I realized, oh, it didn't necessarily. Um, it didn't fix the, the things that like the, it, 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 some, somebody else giving me that kind of validation didn't necessarily um, make all my problems go away uh, and um, make me feel like I, I, I was an, enough. And I actually found that to be a positive thing because it meant that I'm not done. It meant that there's still a drive to continue telling stories. And it actually isn't about the awards. Like they're wonderful. They means they do mean a lot. They mean so much, but there's, there's something I think me potentially um, deeper about the drive to, to tell stories to, uh, with and, and for other people that, um, that I, that I, that I loved was, was, was still there. So, um, I, yeah, I've had a, I've had a, <laughs> I guess a complicated relationship with it, but, um, but very grateful. I'm very happy about it. <laughs> and, and I love how you're branching out that you're writing two librettos. So you're adapting the great Gatsby for the Broadway stage with Florence Welch, and Thomas Bartlett. They're writing music and, and lyrics. Um, and I'm, I'm, I've written the libretto and they have, I think about 20 songs, um, thereabouts. Uh, so I'm going out to London in January to do another workshop. I just came back from our first workshop, which was also like, you know, it was very, very COVID, uh, a lot of, um, uh, we took a lot of precautions. It was this, um, Re- rehearsing and workshopping a musical with a lot of people during COVID is, is uh, not uncomplicated. Um, and um, we've been back in January to, co- to continue working on it, but it's been, it's been really lovely. It's been wonderful. And the music sounds fantastic. And so, yeah, I love just listening to it on the subway. <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, this is, this is a good sign. <laughs> have you written musicals? Have you written books for musicals before? Is this something I, brand new for you or? I guess this is my second one. Um, I had, oh. I had tried to write one before in grad school that sort of never, never, never came to be. Um, and, uh, and then I have another one that is, that is the, um, the memoir of Girl Interrupted. Um, that's, that's a little bit less oh. that I can speak a little bit less about, but it's, um, uh, so that was technically, I guess, the first one that I, that I did. Um, outside of grad school, and and now this one. Because I, I know like you. A lot. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just cool to like have an ex- another collaborator that early. So and like I get, I'll get these songs texted to me and or or emailed to me, and I'm like, oh, it's just magical to, <laughs> to be able to. Music is just magical. It's if I could be, yeah. if I could do music like that's, I would trade playwriting to be able to have the ability to like <laughs> to move a soul the way that music does. Yeah. What is the quote that if you if you nothing more to say, you sing, and if you've yeah. nothing to say, you dance. Dance, yeah, yeah. 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 But um, and and were you always a fan of Great Gatsby of the Great Gatsby? And what is I mean, what what a fascinating source. What fascinating source material to bring to a musical form? I had read it in high school, and I and I don't. I just had a similar experience. I think a lot of us have had of like reading it in high school and being like, oh, "Okay, this guy throws parties," um, and, <laughs> and um, fine. Uh, and and I think connecting with with Gatsby um, of this like striver striver mentality. Um, uh, but I didn't really think, I, I think I didn't think, think too much of it. And then I had reread it in, I guess, January, um, when they approached me about the project and, uh, it was the perfect, uh, book to read in 
the middle of a pandemic in one's thirties <laughs> as well. There was, there is this, there, I, I saw, the language is beautiful and transcendent and stunning. And it's, it, it makes you, it's like so otherworldly beautiful. So there's that, but there's, there's also this feeling of, um, is this really it? Is this really all life is? Um, it's also, it, it it's set in, uh, a few years after the flu, flu pandemic, uh, and a few years after the end of World War One, and so everybody who was uh, who was basically featured throughout the like, there's two people who are veterans in the you know Gatsby is a veteran, Nick is a veteran. Um, uh, they're all these people are coming out of a, a moment of intense devastation and having seen so much death around them, um, especially the death of younger people. Uh, and, um, and the mentality that they adopted was kind of like a devil may care. And I will like, um, if I'm going to, if I could die at any moment, I should live my life to the, to the fullest growing twenties, you know, that, that, that I was like, Oh, this is, there's something really fascinating about that time in, in relation to the time that we're in right now. Um, and so I really, it was like, you know, once I read it, I told the person, I was like, listen, I, I, um, I really want to do this. Uh, but if, if it doesn't work out, I'm just really glad, glad that you brought the great Gatsby back into my life. Cause it was so, it, it was so soul. It spoke to my soul in a way that I really needed. Um, so yeah, very much a fan now. <laughs> and, you know, I'm obsessed with Escott Fitzgerald. Is, yeah. Know, yeah. He's such a poet. You know, how he strings world to, words together is so beautiful. beautiful. And can you talk about your HBO projects or are you allowed to talk about what you're developing for HBO? I can do one, one of them, but one is, one was a, is a film, which is a book adaptation. Um, uh, and the other is, um, um, I'm working to, to adapt my play Queens into, into an hour long series. Uh, that's, oh. that, uh, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a long journey, but I'm but I'm that's what I'm yeah that's what I'm working on. <laughs> How is that different writing, you know, for for TV, you know, writing screenplays? I get to I get to show their the characters' worlds in ways that I that I um uh I have to ask people to imagine them in the theater, and sometimes I, I what I found. Um, is that the people in the in the theater seats may not have had um, the same experiences for them to be able to recall or easily imagine like what it what what it is to to live in a in a certain circumstance. Like, I, I think we're all we actually all have the the, the capacity to understand every other human life. Like I truly don't. If we're all human, we all experience love and loss and betrayal and grief and like so we're we are the same. Um, but I think I've discovered that maybe some people are a little closed off to accessing certain other people's ex- lives and experiences. Um, but if you show them, um, if you show them, this is what, this is what the world looks like. Um, uh, I think people are, they can, they can, I guess, believe it more. Uh, it also, it's exciting to, to show, um, like it's the, 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 the play is a, is about a group of immigrant women from various backgrounds who, um, at one point in time over about 16, 17 years that at one point in time, all occupied the same basement apartment in Queens. And so I, what's exciting about working on working with on for television is I can just show them in their home countries. So I can, like when I, when I go back to Poland with my mother, she's a different person, um, like her humor is different, like her body is different. And so I get to, we get to show, we get to sort of show that while also inviting an audience, uh, you know, t- television audience into, into that so that they get to know these characters in very, in very different, you know, who, who is this character when they're working at cleaning houses? Who are they when they're like the matriarch of their, their, their huge loving family, like in their home country, who, you know, who are they like, 20 years in the country when they feel more established, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really fun opportunity to, to be able to expand the lives of these characters that like I had to condense be, because of just theater runtimes. When you say when she goes home, she's di- her body's different. Is she more, mm-hmm. is she less guarded, more able to be herself? Do you find? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Who is, who is, who is herself, right? Like, it's ah, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Who is she? Like yeah. <laughs> yeah, or, or, you know, 
Like, or was, any of us. You're I just right. need her relax a little bit more. I think she, oh, she's, um, yeah. there's something about when you can, uh, uh, the fluency of humor, like when you can feel like you can tell a joke in a really like fluid, uh, comfortable way that like, that's like, uh, that, that's like a moment of like seeing somebody at their most alive for me, like what their humor is. And I think she's just, she, yeah, she's kind of more comfortable, more comfortable there. Uh, and sometimes just, you know, uncomfortable in other circumstances there as well. But like, it, I just remember, remember the, the first few times that I would go with her and I would observe her and, and just feel like she's, she's something different is happening to her body. What, what's some of the best writing guidance you've received or, or is there a mantra when you sit down to write a play, you go, well, I know you said it's, it's hard to, you don't oh, oh, find the flow or you don't love it, but is there something that helps you get through? I think the hardest thing has been to quiet the voices that tell you, you shouldn't be doing this or you're not enough and, and, oh, you're a terrible, terrible writer. Um, and that's like, that's, I think has, that's been sort of my journey over the pandemic in the past few years of like figuring out how to deal with like these sort of negative voices. And, um, what I've discovered recently, which I don't discover, but I, but I have like finally uh, listened when people have been telling me this for years is that nobody has to see your first draft. Actually, you're in a very safe space when you're writing because nobody has to see it. Um, and so you can feel free to like be your full self in all of the ranges of like, you know, beauty and ugliness that, that we might contain because uh, you have to allow yourself the, like you have to open the gates for yourself to let everything, to let everything out on the page or you won't ever like realize what you you won't ever realize the truth if you're constantly censoring and editing yourself, um, which I think is what those voices are do. Um, uh, so uh, I, I guess understand that you are actually in a safe. This is like pot to kettle. So like that you are in a safe a safe place when you're when you're, cre- and when you're creating. It's act- and it is the it's your tr- it's your truth, which is all of our truths that we're trying to access. And if you if you shut it down too early, you might not you might never get there. Um, and so trusting yourself and loving yourself in order to not, enough to like, let, you know, just speak, speak who you are. That's, you that's wonderful. And if for people who might not know Sanctuary City, what, what would you, te- what would you like people to know about the play? I, I would like them to know it's a play about love. <laughs> Let's talk about humor and how you bring in humor into your writing, especially because a lot of the subject matter um, from afar can seem serious. And yet there's a lot of laughter in your poems. It's a similar experience I had with cabaret where like it, humor is an invitation. Humor is an act of reaching out to other, to other people. Um, And, and uh, I'm not making, I'm never making fun. I'm never making light. Oftentimes the people who um, tend to be, the the folks in the most difficult situation or maybe even the most marginalized characters tend to have are the leaders of the humor they're the ones that are that are that have the laugh lines which is a which is also a, a source of power um is to to like cre- to create um in another person like a, a laugh like that is powerful and um so i so because the because the subjects can be difficult um i I, I make sure within the first minute there's a laugh, so the audience the audience knows that they that they can um, that they feel that they they're invited to laugh um, with these characters, uh, and also because it just feels true to these characters' experiences. It's true to my experience that it's just that humor is that that is that is like a currency between us that is that is very meaningful, uh, and so we just feel dishonest to not to not have that in in the plays. Um, but it's mostly it's a tool of invitation. I love that. Was there someone when you were a kid when you were writing this skit or or writing it uh, that said keep going or saw this gift that you had who was nurturing it who was saying keep going. I think in my pu- in my public school and, and in my public high school there were there were a few teachers who 
who absolutely, you know, in, in, encouraged continuing to, to write. Uh, there was there was um, one time where I was like given an assignment to write two pages, and I came in with twenty five, and and this poor like public school English teacher was like, I I have thirty students, like I cannot write twenty five pages, but but instead of being like this is wrong, she she was like she introduced me to to. Um, uh, there was like a, a young playwrights competition and I didn't know, I didn't know how to write a play. I thought writing a play was like, you wrote a movie that you couldn't afford to make. And so they did it in front of you. Uh, and, um, just like this. And then later on, like the, 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 um, English learn, learning program, like was because I was writing, was writing skits in my, in my Spanish class that, and this, this teacher was like, would you like to join, would you like to join this and, uh, this group and, um, continue writing. And so they were like, uh, lo- so much love for the public school <laughs> English English and reading teachers of New Jersey. So much love for them. Yeah, That's very incredible. little little means, but they did what they could. That was in Car- Carly, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, what do you remember? What that the twenty five pages roughly was about that you wrote? That I don't actually. Uh, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I just remember that it was like, yeah. I was like, I remember it was the number. It was like this two pages, and she was just like, "That's that's nice." <laughs> don't do that again. <laughs> no, she didn't say don't. I, I who knows, but I think it didn't feel like I was doing a bad a bad thing. But I was, yeah. I was just aware of like, oh no. Now I'm aware of like yeah. the demand on her time that I had made. <laughs> but how how wonderful that she went with it. You know, that yeah, that she was okay. So but, much love for them. <laughs> so cool. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, you so well. much for taking the time. Have a wonderful day. And I'm excited to see what else you birth into the world. Thank Thanks. you so much. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore. And the talent was booked by Anna Strauss. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.